Welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 156. We'll continue in the Psalms with a brief summary of chapters 12 through 15 and follow with some thoughts about the top six ways to be best. For the poet in chapter 12, The world is a vampire Has anything really changed since then? There's Donald Trump, an intellectual. Trust me, I'm like a smart person. But the poet reminds us, quote, From the plunder of the poor, from the wretched men's groans, now I will rise, says the Lord. I will set up for rescue a witness for him. The Lord sings, pure sings, silver tried in a kiln in the earth refined sevenfold. But until then, chapter 13, quote, How long, O Lord, will you forget me always? How long hide your face from me? How long shall I cast about for counsel, sorrow in my heart, all day? How long will my enemy loom over me? All the poet needs is a sign, any indication that God is listening. But until then, quote, I in your kindness do trust. My heart exalts in your rescue. Let me sing to the Lord, for he required me. But chapter 14 sadly does not describe any change in the status quo. Quote, The scoundrel has said in his heart there is no God. They corrupt, they make loathsome their acts. There is none who does good. The scoundrel is not making a theological statement. He, he's basically saying, I'm free of any remorse or conscience. There's no superego, only id. And yet the poet tells us God sees all and the scoundrel will eventually turn because, quote, for God is with the righteous band. In your plot against the poor, you are shamed. Chapter 15, according to Rabbi Simlai in Tractate Makot of the Babylonian Talmud, is one of the most concise expressions of Jewish theology. In five verses, the poet answers the quintessential question, What does God want from us? Quote, Lord, who will sojourn in your tent? Who will dwell on your holy mountain? He who walks blameless and does justice and speaks the truth in his heart. Who slanders not with his tongue, nor does his to his fellow man evil, nor bears reproach for his kin. The debased in his eyes is repugnant, but to the Lord fears he accords honor. When he vows to his fellow man, he does not revoke it. His money he does not give at interest, and no bribe for the innocent takes. He who does these will never stumble. And on that morally uplifting note, here endeth the lesson. Radak, otherwise known as Rabbi David Kimchi, was born in 1160 in Narbonne, Provence, into a family of biblical commentators and grammarians. His commentary focuses not just on the meaning of the text, as is the goal of any commentator, but he does so by way of the form of the language itself. He explains words through its grammatical constructions and their etymological development. So, for example, in verse 2, he looks at the phrase holech tamim, which Alter renders as walks blameless. Radak scrutinizes the word tamim both as an adjective and as a noun and reaches the conclusion that, quote, the perfect is he who occupies himself in the affairs of this world in the way of perfectness, integrity, who does not engage his deepest purpose 
in prosecution of worldly schemes. His analysis of the verses 2 and 3 affirms the typology of human behavior. Quote, now the laws of man, positive and negative, fall under three aspects. One concerned with deed, one concerned with speech, and one with thought. This is the yardstick with which the poet measures a person. But I want to return to Rabbi Simlai's listicle of essential Jewishness. I mentioned this before, Babylonian Talmud, Tractate Makot, Folio Pages 23b and 24a. Here we go with some help from Safaria. Quote, Rabbi Simlai taught there were 613 commandments, mitzvot, stated to Moses in the Torah, consisting of 365 prohibitions corresponding to the number of days in the year, and 248 positive mitzvot corresponding to the number of a person's limbs. King David came and established the 613 mitzvot upon 11 mitzvot as it is written. And then the Gemara reproduces the five verses of Psalm 15 and proceeds to analyze them, but then, before it concludes, it recounts the following story. At the conclusion of the verses, it is written, He who does these will never stumble. The Gemara relates, When Rabban Gamliel would reach this verse, he would cry. And he said, It is one who performed all these actions who shall never stumble, but if he performed only one of them, he shall stumble. The sages said to him, It is written, He who performs all these, rather, the phrase, He who performs these, is written, indicating that one is blessed, even in a case where he performed one of them. Well, that's nice, isn't it? Rabbi Simlai continues, Isaiah, Yeshayahu, came and established the 613 mitzvot upon six, as it is written, quote, He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppressions, who shakes his hands from holding of bribes, who stops his ears from hearing blood, and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil. That's Isaiah 33, verse 15. There's some more verse-by-verse analysis of the six, and then Rabbi Simlai continues, quote, Micha came and established the 613 mitzvot upon three, as it is written, quote, It has been told to you, O man, what is good and what the Lord does require of you, only to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, end quote. Yeshayahu then established the 613 mitzvot upon two, as it is stated, quote, So says the Lord, observe justice and perform righteousness. Amos came and established the 613 mitzvot upon one, as it is stated, quote, So says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Rav Nachman bar Yitzchak objects to this. There is no proof that the verse in Amos is establishing all the mitzvot upon one. Say that Amos is saying, Seek me throughout the entire Torah, as the verse does not specify the manner in which one should seek out the Lord. Rather, say Habakkuk came and established the 613 mitzvot upon one, as it is stated, quote, but the righteous person shall live by his faith. Now, I don't think Rabbi Simlai was trying to establish a hierarchy of mitzvot, where one mitzvah is more important than the other, but like Maslow, he was establishing a hierarchy of needs, where some serve as the foundation for others. The psychologist Abraham Maslow wrote a paper in 1943 entitled A Theory of Human Motivation, where he mapped out the trajectory of human motivation. So take anybody, take any person, a man or woman, at the most basic level, she will be motivated to find food, water, sleep, shelter, and sex. Once those are secured and satisfied, she will move on to the next level security and safety, then once secured, she will seek out intimate relationships, friends, then once that's secured, she'll move on and strive for prestige and accomplishment. The top level, 
Maslow calls self-actualization is where she achieves her full potential. The hierarchy is often represented as a pyramid. Now, Rabbi Simlai, in a sense, intimates a similar hierarchy, also easily represented as a pyramid. You have Moshe's 613 commandments at the bottom, and then you move up one level to 11 from the poet, then six from Yeshayahu, Micha's three, Yeshayahu again with two, and then Habakkuk with one. At the top of the pyramid is Habakkuk's admonishment, quote, but the righteous person shall live by his faith. Now, when I had a look at the listicles, within the listicle, three ideas sort of popped out. Number three, I guess I'm doing a countdown. None of the mitzvot listed in the top five slots of essential mitzvot are ritual in nature. They're basically shorter iterations of each other. Number two, the concrete mitzvah in common to every list except the top slot, involves doing justice. Justice is rendered in these different contexts with different language. Sometimes the word employed by the prophet is mishpat, sometimes it's tzedek. The former clearly refers to the legal process. One must have fair and unbiased courts and a judicial system free of graft and corruption. Yeshayahu refers to this as does the poet. The other notion, tzedek or tzedakah, is a bit more abstract. We often translate tzedakah as charity, but in this listicle, they are used almost interchangeably, and in every instance, they are not referring to what we would describe exclusively as almsgiving. I've heard tzedek and tzedakah translated not as justice and or charity, but as fairness. And when you throw in the word tzaddik, also with the same root, and we translate that as like a righteous person, we are perhaps approaching the real intent behind the prophet's command. The great philosopher Maimonides, in his Mishnah Torah, The Laws About Giving to Poor People, chapter 10, also outlines a hierarchy of tzedakah, of providing support to the poor in a fair and equitable way. The lowest level is giving out of pity. You don't really want to give, but seeing the person in such a destitute state kind of motivates you to put your hand in your pocket. You're not giving because you're commanded to, but because of the spectacle. And had the spectacle been less pathetic, you would have uh, walked on. So this is the lowest level. The need of the poor is being addressed, but the giver gives for the wrong reason. The topmost level is giving the person an interest-free loan or grant or forming a business partnership with the person. The idea is that the support you provide helps the person transcend the gap of inequality. A person who had not, now, with your help, might have. And finally, number one, the most interesting thing, I think, of all the lists and of all the mitzvot that are listed, living by your faith is the most diffuse and abstract. What does this mean? How am I supposed to act on this? Perhaps you're not supposed to act on this. If you recall Radak's typology of human behavior, there is deed, speech, and thought. What Rabbi Simlai seems to suggest is that this pyramid should be inverted. In fact, Rabbi Nachman bar Yitzchak says as much, that the single mitzvah actually be the entry point into the whole process, that a commitment to live by the Jewish faith is the precursor and foundation for everything else to come. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs without the most basic box being checked. There can be nothing more. Without thought, there can be no speech and deed. Once you've accepted that you will follow a Jewish path from now on, then 
comes observing justice and performing righteousness. This is not a uniquely Jewish commandment. Any upright and moral person, Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, would agree that without justice and righteousness, you don't have very much. Then add to that list loving mercy, again, a universal commandment. And when you get to Yeshayahu 6, you get more about comradely behavior, such as standing up for the oppressed, as well as more anti-capitalist attitudes like despising the ill-gotten gains from the means of production. And then... You have the Poets 11, which echoes the previous list, but adds a prohibition against usury, another evil of capitalism. And then you finally get to Moshe, the Torah, and Judaism's unique contribution to the world. And then, and only then, through the 613 mitzvot, a person not only reaches what Maslow would describe as self-actualization, but as the poet says, she will sojourn in your tent and dwell on your holy mountain. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Send a friend an email to say, Hey, would it kill you to check out TanakhCast? Or even better, write a brief review at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people who might be interested in some Bible learning find this podcast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for Episode 157 when we continue in Psalms with chapters 16 through 19.